0: Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's the show that genuinely believes that it would score at least a couple of goals a game if playing a centre forward in this City side. Why? Because we'd shoot, that's why. Today's show is split into two segments, with this weekend's hosting of West Ham featuring Strongly in the first part, while coming up later we have an interview with a legend that is Andy Morrison, so stay around for that. Before we chat to the big man however, there's a small matter of City trying to make it 20 straight wins across all competitions good lord and better yet by doing so wiping the smug I told you I was a good manager look off David Moyes's face can the blues make it to the magic 20 will one of our strikers ever take aim and fire let's not hold our breath on that one to discuss this and more I'm delighted to be joined today by a guy whose opinions are prolific and whose views never fail to find the bottom corner of the net it's Chris Wright hi Chris you well pal yeah morning Steve how are you I'm very good, thanks. Yeah, the sun is out and the weekend is nearly upon us. How things with kind of work life?
1: Yeah, work is busy. Uh, working from home, having to adapt to that. Um, I, as I said before, I, I, I'm a producer in the arts, and we postponed a lot of projects and now suddenly they're all rolling out again with the good. you know because because this because of positive about things changing but yeah busy but you know happy football's keeping me going and it's a good time to be a Man City fan.
0: Very good time indeed and um, before we look ahead to the Hammers game there's a player who I'm sure we've talked about before in the pod but I just don't feel we've given him enough kind of credit enough love uh, Cancello Um mm-hmm. A celebration of him is, is overdue, I think, on his part he, and his all-round brilliance this season and his importance too. Um, I said in the agenda, let's keep this free form because I think that's quite fitting with the style of play that he gives us. Um, it's impossible to pin down, isn't he really?
1: Yeah, so if we keep it free form, I'll start by saying I have a soft spot for Cancelo because he looks like Sylvester St- Stallone from Rocky Three era, which is a film. <laughs> I, which is a film that I. Um, I, I, I grew up on, so I have a real soft spot for him. People should check it out. There was a definite likeness there from Rocky Three. But I think the thing I like about Gancello is that he is this embodiment of Pep's unique approach to football. If, if you look at the way Pep manages his teams, it's quite elementary what he does sometimes. But, but where you would say is his genius is the way he applies it. So, so the idea that when your team is in possession and it's attacking, that you let the full come inside to, to flood the midfield and your defensive midfield can drop back to be a third centre back in case we lose possession is really, it's quite elementary. It's quite straightforward. But, but in order to, to be able to apply that, you have to have exceptionally talented and technical players. And, and I, I said in a previous pod that, that, Pep recruits players who can transcend their normal positions. So, so when we brought in Cancelo, we saw him as a fullback. But of course, Kyle Walker was an absolutely superb form at that time. And I, and I always thought, well, how will he, how will he be able to, to, to get any game time if Walker is, is on such a switch, good run of form? But as, as we've seen, Cancelo is so much more than a fullback. Mm. And after, after what I think was a difficult first transitional season, to give him credit, he has a lot of character because he stayed focused. And and I know that Pep commented on that earlier this season, uh, uh, what character he's got, and he's really turned turned himself around. But now Pep has been able to find a way to play Cancelo, So his technical abilities are really coming to the fore. And I don't know if you noticed this, Steve, but a game against Munch and Gladbach on Wednesday... I, I, it was interesting because it feels like Cancelo now suits City's current style of play much more than Walker does because yeah. he's so technically gifted and, he, and he's so able to create an opportunity. Walker's a fantastic player, but in his attacking attitude, he's, he can be quite one-dimensional. Yes, um, Whereas Cancelo offers so much more. So he, he's just a delight and clearly, you know, he, he, he enjoys playing football. When you see a player... Um, applying themselves on the pitch with such confidence it's its a joy to watch so yeah I, I've really enjoyed his progress but again it comes down to great management great man management by by, uh, by Pep
0: yeah, absolutely it does yeah um, and, and well yeah I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned there about his character as, play's character as well because that must have been a tricky first season really kind of you know coming from Juve highly kind of regarded um, I've read about how Juve fans really regret um, letting him go um, and having to buckle down and prove himself and then beyond that, really establish himself in his team and kind of assimilate all this complicated instruction and and you know, use it to perfection, which is what he's doing. I that and Gladbach game, I was watching him quite closely and I know that, you know, Keown and several co-commentators do kind of make a big deal about the fact that he is provisionally a fullback who comes into the midfield. But we're used to that now. Let's face mm. it. we saw that with Zinchenko. We saw that with Delph. But against gladback he was taking up positions where I would never want to see a fullback take. He was on the edge of the box. He was making darts here and there. And yet he was never in trouble. He was never found out. He never kind of put any extra pressure on the port. Um Yes, I think he's so intelligent as a footballer. I mean, personally, I feel sorry for the stat sites that have to compile the positions that players play in per appearance because I looked around before and on transfer market, he's down as a right-back 14 times, a left-back 11 times, (laughs) twice in centre mid and once as a right midfielder. Well, you know, we've seen those 29 games, whatever it is. He's been everywhere.
1: (laughs) he has and i think i mean i listen to keon's remorseless comments about <laughs> uh, about look at where he is look at where he is and and i want to scream at the tv say look this is not an accident mm. he's not he's not going rogue this is a well crafted and an articulated plan that when we attack, we fill the midfield so we can push more players up front. It's not rocket science, but the back as I said earlier, the application of it is very challenging. And and again, it ju- it just shows Keown's antiquated attitude towards football. In that a full-back should stay on the left or the right hand side yeah. of of the back four. And um, yeah, I, I, and what I've really noticed as well is that. The, the other obviously City work in a system where it doesn't matter which player is in that position they will receive the ball but I'm just seeing players looking for Cancelo a lot more now because yeah. they know that he can impact on on that attacking move going forward and if you if you look at if, again if you look at both his his well one was an assist and then one was was a, was a pre assist came from the same position both times, but it's about how you close that down. And that's why he's clever. He takes up spaces in the channels like David Silva used to do. So, I mean, yeah, you know, I really hope that he will be acknowledged at the end of the year in terms of, you know, player of the year and and team of the year. But it's just a delight to see someone have a difficult first season and then emerge in that second season because of good management and because of a confident and professional attitude.
0: Absolutely. I mean, for me his importance is is you know huge on this team but particularly on rodri as well i think and um, because he's so intelligent he never seems to be caught out of position in central areas he's always offering support to rodri and um, yes he's you know as you say he's finding these kind of spaces kind of in the channels but rodri has never been isolated as far as no. i can remember when Cancelo's playing and that is down to you know the portuguese player he's is so intelligent as i say and and um, He's been crucial to us. I mean, you look at our transformation, and so much of it comes down to him. Mm. Uh, and it's incredible to think that if I was putting together my preferred lineup against West Ham this weekend, he'd be one of the first three players down on the team yeah. sheet.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You've, you know, you've got this sort of Portuguese trio now, haven't you? Of, <laughs> yes. of Cancelo and Diaz and Silva. You know, and it's, a good point you make about Rodri is that again, it's 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 a it's a weakness that Pep spotted that Rodri would often find himself isolated because because uh, Gundogan would move forward or, or KDB would move forward. So so drop Cancelo in there t- to give him that support it's often 95% of people who talk about football that often don't know what they're talking about because they refuse to see the, the bigger picture. Mm. So when they look at Concello, it's like, well, why is this fullback going in the midfield and pushing forward on the edge of the 18 yard box? It's not because he fancies a goal. It's not, it's not because he's ignoring his manager's instructions. It's because the manager has given him license to do that. That's what I love about, about City at the minute is for all their attacking creativity and their movement around the pitch it's their discipline especially if you against spurs last uh, last week uh, or 2 weeks ago their discipline the shape that they kept to to to, to ensure that if the opposition got the ball it would be taken off them within mm. a five-second period. And, and you know, and Can, and Cancelo's positioning, while it might seem that he's going rogue because he's not at full-back, actually, he knows exactly what he's doing and he's following Pep's instructions to the letter.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I, I just, it, it staggers me to think that it's only, what, three years ago where, you know, Delph or Zinchenko would mm. just move 10 yards inside and, and it blow my mind. <laughs> and now him to, you know, Cancelo, it's the progress we're making in that regard. Um, Yeah. Well, it doesn't bode well for West Ham then, does it? Given how we're playing and the discipline of our uh, shape, as you say there. Um, Furthermore, we have a great track record against the Hammers. Mm. Um, Last lost in 2015. And in those 12 games, the aggregate scoreline is 37-6. But... It's David Moyes and West Ham are doing really well and Moyes knows how to set his team up to be difficult to beat uh, and then there's a draw earlier this season of course at the London Stadium. How do you see this one playing out Chris?
1: It is interesting because I, I think you're right I think in, in the previous season the West Ham game we've always considered as, 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 a, as, a, as a kind of give me three points. Yeah five nil Yeah yeah and 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 they had a, a real fragile spine for several seasons, despite having a number of quite talented players in there. West Ham are a different proposition now. At the same time, so are we. We're a very different team from the one that drew what won all um, with them earlier in the season. And I think it's it's interesting with Moyes because I do feel that he did develop this unfair reputation after what happened to him uh, happened to him at, when he was manager at United. Mm-hmm. Uh, he became a bit of a joke figure because obviously he ha- he had a difficult time at Real Sociedad and at Sunderland uh, as well, but it, and and it and it was easy for us to forget about what a what a incredi- well, not incredible but what a really progressive and interesting manager he was at Preston and then at Everton as well. Yeah. Um, but I still don't think if you look at West Ham's results over the past six to eight weeks, they haven't they haven't played anybody like City. So since the start of December, they've had a really great run of form. But when they've played sides who you would consider top six, they've lost. Yeah. Um, and and I won't say the flat track bullies, but but in terms of when they're playing somebody who is in that higher echelon. Uh, of the league I think they they do struggle I, I just don't see them matching us um, tomorrow I think we're we'll too strong for them we're too smart for them they may score a goal but um, I'm confident about us taking three points with this one
0: well I think they a really good point there about their kind of record against the top six um, three, only three occasions this season have they took the lead and not gone on to win the game um, and that was against City United and Liverpool and um, what really interests me about this fixture, you know, is the timing of the potential timing of the goals. Mm. City have just got into this great habit right now, of scoring early. Um, I, I don't have the facts and figures to hand, but I did have them. I think I said them on the last pod, actually. How, how often we've scored in the opening 10 minutes and how often we've scored in the opening 20 minutes. Now, West Ham staggeringly have scored just over a quarter of their goals in the final 10 minutes of games absolutely stunning. 61% of their goals have been in the second half. Um, They've gone behind on nine occasions, but they've only gone on to lose four of them. So it just Mm. shows that they're, you know, the comeback, along with United, they're the comeback kings of this season. Mm. Mm. So you could say, okay, if a pattern continues, City will score early and West Ham could get a late equaliser. Or it's a case of if we can get off a mark early. Is that spine still... You know, suspect do we still have a bit of West Hamitis in them?
1: Um, it, possibly. It, it really depends. I think it does depend on who they're playing. I remember Mike Tyson used to say, "Everyone has a plan to beat me, and then I punch them in the nose." <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and and I think it's the same with City. It's like Arteta will have had a plan to to beat us or or to contain us against Arsenal, and then we mug them in the first two minutes, and the whole game yeah. changes. I remember in seventeen eighteen season we used to score early all the time, and then the impact on the psychology of the opposition is huge, because their whole game plan kind of goes to 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 nothing. Yeah. So I'll be interested to see how Moyes approaches the game. Whether he does go defensive and look to to. to, to to counter-attack. Um, it, if we score early, I can't I, I, I can't see um, West Ham being able to turn it around in the second half. And the reason that I say that is simply because of our defensive record. Um, you know, West Ham aren't facing up to Spurs' defence here or Liverpool's defence mm. or, or United's defence. They're facing up to who I hope will be Stones and Diaz, who are basically a blue brick wall on the pitch. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I, I think... I think you Know it, 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 what it, what it does show, what those stats do show that you mentioned, Nestie, about the, the, them scoring late goals is their fitness level, yes,
0: and their fortitude, but definitely, yes, yes. yeah,
1: yeah. And, and that's something that, that Moyes instilled in Everton. That's why so Everton was so hard to, to, to play against, particularly at Goodson Park, because even if you were beating them, they would never stop until that 90th minute. Um, so they might score. They might not, but I can't see beyond a um, uh, a City winning with this. And I also think that the team are very focused now. The next three games for us, I think, are critical. We play West Ham on Saturday, we play Wolves on Tuesday, and then we play United on the following Saturday. And I and I said a, cu- in a couple of pods ago that I, I can see City pulling away, which is what they're doing. If we win all three of those games... And it Because it'll be a six-pointer with United. For me, the, the league's over. It's yeah. absolutely over. And so I think that whilst Pep says we're playing game by game, he strategically knows that these next three games are critical. If we win those, it will be very difficult to stop. So I can't see anything but a really professional, confident display against West Ham that will keep the momentum building.
0: Completely agree. I, I, I completely agree about the three games as well you mentioned, because... Should we go on to get nine points, which is not going to be easy by any stretch, and you know I'd never kind of assume so. But should we win the next three games, and um, we could almost get to the surreal stage where Pep might be resting players in league mm. games and just prioritising completely on the mm. Champions League, and that would be his ideal setup, wouldn't it? Um, okay, we're well, looking at, at City then a potential lineup. Um, De Bruyne will surely return, only
1: he? Uh, he He has to for me. Um, he, Gunduan has, has excelled in, hmm. in in KDB's absence, but 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 you don't replace a player like KDB. You know, it's it's what he will do is he'll come back and he'll enhance what's already going on. But yeah, he he needs minutes, um, and I feel the same way about Sergio as well. Uh, and and that and that isn't just because we couldn't hit a you know we couldn't hit a door with a banjo on, <laughs> on Wednesday, but it's more to do with we're reaching a point in the season where we need goals particularly in the champions league because when we go in when we go hopefully we'll, we'll get past and gladbach we go into the quarter final stage we're going to need goals and aguero guarantees Goal. So, so I want Aguero to have some time as well yeah. Whether that's the first 60 minutes Or whether that's the last 30 minutes That'll be up to Pep to, to, to decide But yeah, I imagine KDB are back I imagine that Diaz will be back in with Stones um, And I'd really like to see Sergio start
0: What about um, left-back? Do you think it could be um, Zinchenko maybe?
1: <sighs> I, I think it'll depend on how Pep sees Whether he wants Kyle Walker to to match the attacking players against West Ham. I I do see Kyle Walker playing against, possibly playing against Wolves. Um, But I'd like to see Zinchenko back in because it's like I said before about Cancelo and his technical ability. Zinchenko has that. If he comes inside this, he has that technical ability to keep the play moving forward. So I think, yeah... if I looked at it in terms of time, in terms of minutes that players needed, like to see Zinchenko back in, and 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 then for uh, for Cancello to to go back at uh, right back, but I really want to see Stones and Diaz again. Yeah, um, it feels like it's been a few games since we've seen them, and uh, and I really want to see them 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 back in the centre of that of that back line.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely, and against Antonio as well, who's, you know yeah. hugely underrated, uh, particularly since he's been kind of reimagined as an out and out striker. Um, Okay, just one last thing on West Ham. How, how impressed have you been by them this season? And realistically, what can they go on to achieve?
1: I have been really impressed by them. And like I said before, I've been impressed by the fact that David Moyes has been able to re-establish himself as a manager to be respected and, and, yeah. and, and managing you know, a top-half team. And what's interesting, though, about them statistically is that they've got 45 points but they've only got a goal difference of 10.
0: Yes. And you have yeah. to
1: look to see, okay, so is it, is it their attacking needs to improve or it, does their defence need to improve? And I think that that fallibility may mean they don't stay in the top four. I, I could confidently see West Ham getting a Europa League place, uh, place, but I do see Chelsea creeping back into that top four. Um, and, and therefore, I think West Ham would struggle to, to retain the place in there. Really, so yeah, I think they can go. On, I think they can probably get a, a top if they can keep their consistency going, and they can beat the teams below them. Um, then I, I could see them getting a getting a, a a top six finish.
0: Well, well, yeah, that'd be the dream for them, wouldn't it? A Top ten, I think they'd be happy with, but mm-hmm. top six obviously would be would be the dream really. And um, so, twelve thirty kickoff on Saturday, Chris. Are mm-hmm. you in
1: favour of that kind of? Kick-off time. Uh, context is everything, so it depends. <laughs> it, de- it depends what I'm doing. It depends what city you're doing. In the eighteen nineteen season, if you remember, we, we so often we played after Liverpool played. Yes, yeah, and and, and I and I hated it. Because there was, it was just too tense. I'd rather get the game played, yeah. and then and then the rest of the teams. So I quite enjoyed a twelve thirty kickoff. However, unless I'm refereeing a Saturday league game, which which of often starts at two p.m., so it clashes. So on on a number of occasions, there's been a twelve thirty kickoff. I've watched the first half and then gone to referee a game, and it's a curse because each time I've 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 come back, city have either lost or they've drawn.
0: Well, you say when you come back, but I mean, are there times where maybe you ask a spectator on the, you know, for the
1: scoreline? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no, honestly, I don't no. yeah, no, honestly, because because it'll distract me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because because if we've won, I will get distracted by thinking that I want to watch it, and if we've lost, I'll be distracted thinking about what's happened in the game. Yeah, so, yeah. F-
0: fair enough. Um, what about score prediction for Saturday? I think I'm going to go for a hard fought two 0 what about
1: yourself? Um, I'm more confident with that, Steve. I'm going to go for three Oh, Fair enough. I, 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 if if we score early, then uh, I could see us going for the throw. So yeah. I mean, again, I might regret saying that, but I, I just so much about this team is about confidence. It, it's it's. I often think that there's a. There's a misunderstanding about, about this notion of passion and confidence. In that, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in passion as a, as a characteristic of a player. For me, it's about having a strong game plan and then the application of that game plan. And when it works, the, the byproducts of that is confidence and passion. And, and that's what I'm seeing with City's team, yeah. is the passion and the confidence because they believe in the system because the system is working. And so at the moment, I, yeah, I, I think they'll win 3-0.
0: Fair enough. Well, let's move on to uh, Gabby Jesus. Um, we'll just touch on it slightly, because I think it was discussed in, in a pod earlier this week, but given his performance against Munchen Gladbach, we, we have to talk about it. I mean, for me, he's fantastic. He was one of the best players on the pitch, but so inconsistent from in front of the goal, and mm. that chance he kind of spurned where he just let the defender catch up on him. Mm. Oh, my God. Um, for you... Has he got the potential to go on to be an out-and-out striker? I'm not talking about, you know, uh, successor to Sergio. I'm not even bringing Sergio into this in conversation, but just as could you see him as an out-and-out striker or will he always be that kind of player who might be better off playing, you know, kind of second striker, wide on the left, etc.?
1: It's funny, you know, on Wednesday night when he did that and he came on the right hand side and didn't shoot. I was just thinking, how many City fans across the globe were going, just shoot? Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> um, every one of them. Yeah,
1: everyone. Um, what's interesting with, with 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 Gabby is that I've never seen him as an out and out striker. When he was playing at Palmeiras and, and when he when he was starting with Brazil early on in his career, he was very much a left sided attacker who came into the middle sometimes. Um, and so when we recruited him, I never saw him as that striker figure to, to, to compete for the place with Aguero or even re- replace Aguero. What, what I did see him as is a perfect Pep Guardiola player yeah. in that he's selfless and he's disciplined and he's tactically very intelligent as well. His movement off the ball is superb. But, but I do think... I think you can't help but bring Aguero into the conversation because a big part of people's perspective of Gabby is their prejudice because his crime is that he is not Aguero and he never will be Aguero because you can't replace a player like him because because he's unique and and and, and he's exceptional. So I never ex- I never expected him to be this thirty goal it's a thirty goal a season striker like Aguero. Um, whereas with someone like Haaland, I would expect I would expect that of him because Haaland brings a different quality to to, to the game. So I, I, sometimes I think it's confidence with um, uh, with Gabby, but also you know what I do often see as well, and I saw it in the Munster Gladback game. is he got the he took the ball, so he intercepted the pass from yeah. the fullback. He came into the box. What's the first thing he did? He looked for another City player. Yeah, yeah. And so that is. That is a mentality which is embedded in the way they play. And on some occasions, we just want them to shoot. And it doesn't just apply to him, it applies to them all, like, like Sterling as well. And Just shoot, just shoot. But also, because Pep always says, get the ball, past the ball, get the ball, past the ball. The more you pass, the more you can open up the bat line and create an opportunity. So I think sometimes he's caught between a rock and a hard place. He should have just shot. But then you look at the other angle. On the TV, you think it was quite a tight angle, and the keeper was right by by his, his yeah. near post. So, yeah, I do get frustrated with him, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't play him in that central role. I, I, I'd like to try and play him more on the left hand side where where he where he can cut inside. So, yeah, it's it's he is frustrating, but I also play I also think if you focus only on his goal scoring you miss out on 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 an enormous part of what he contributes to the team. Oh,
0: absolutely. I'm a huge fan of him and his kind of work rate and the uh, kind of intelligence behind his pressing and kind of how he brings players kind of out of position and and all the rest of it. And yeah, I I completely agree. There's no coincidence that some of his best performances in a blue shirt have been where he's been kind of to the left of Sergio Mm -hmm. uh, and when the two of them have started. I I think they've... They, they found a groove, and it was so kind of unfortunate in that respect, as in many others, that Sergio went on to become injured. Because mm. I think Sergio and Jesus with Raheem there as well. I mean, that, that's a, that's one hell of a trio there. So yeah, we, we'll wait and see. But I can't see it myself, to be honest, as well. I can't see him going on to be this out and out striker. That uh, not just City fans, a lot of people seem to believe he is, but. In reality, no. he just
1: isn't. He, he, he isn't that player. So if we stop expecting him to yeah. be that player and allow him to be the player he is, and if Guardiola uses him in that way, then he'll become a far more important player in in, in the squad.
0: Absolutely. Um, so this week, Pep, uh, but prior to the gladback game, made a jokey comment uh, in a Champions League presser. Uh, about money being at the heart of City's successes this season, um, I, I can't remember what it was he said. That was something about kind of we can buy incredible players, wasn't mm. it? And, uh, we've undeniably outspent our rivals in recent years, but not you know not significantly so. Fifty million here or there in, in the modern age is not a great shakes. Um, in reality, how much of a factor is our spending to city currently being at the top of a league right now, Chris? The,
1: the spending stats do reveal that we have spent more than yeah. our than our uh, uh, competitors but if you look over the period that we've done it we were making up on 25 years of being absolutely of, of yeah. being a mediocre side that often wasn't even in the premier league and 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 the business plan they were very transparent about it is we had to play catch up and that's why we invested so much in that you know from 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 after the 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 owners and. Um, took over so obviously i think i think that the stats don't necessarily tell the truth because it's it, it, it was the level of investment that we did in the first few years and um, obviously i think i think that that the point that that miguel delaney was trying to make but he made it so badly because you know the, the article i mean I, I know you've spoken about this beyond uh, earlier earlier this week and last week i mean the article delaney wrote was almost like a fanzine article yeah it, 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 yeah. it was it was like Begrudging respect, peppered with these bitter barbs. So it just felt really childish and, and puerile. But but um, he was making a point that we do have a lot of resources, but resources are worthless if you don't apply them effectively. Um, and I think that if you look at if you look at the amount we spent in the closed season uh, last year, we didn't buy a replacement centre back after the nineteen twenty se- season uh, for the nineteen twenty season. So we bought two. For, for, for this season in mm. Dias so again that, that it slightly skews the amount of money that, that we've spent at the same time it's the same squad that started the season so badly exactly. and so erratically yeah. Yeah. which is now dominating so whilst the resources clearly help it's about other things which people which people don't want to have to take notice of, like player management, like tactical evolution, or like, and this is absolutely key, a mentality refresh. That that's the big thing that that we look like mentality monsters again. You know, Peppers manage the squad in a way to get them hungry one more time. So yeah, clearly the resources help. But as we've seen with many, many teams over the last five to six seasons, including Chelsea and United, you can have all the resources you want. If they're not managed effectively, they just become bloated.
0: Yep, couldn't agree more. And and that point you make there about the the change coming a third of the way through the season, um, you know, basically renders it all redundant, all this talk about our resources and our spending. Because as you said, we looked for the first what, 10 games in a season? We look pretty much like we were last season, Mm. where we were a reactive side that, you know, we we would suffer a defeat and then we would respond with two really good games. But we were always precarious. We were always open to just putting in a poor performance, as we saw against Spurs, for example. What we're seeing now is a dominant, all-conquering, brilliant side that is basically getting so close to perfection that it could touch it. And it's the same team, and that mm. is down to Pep, and that's down mm. to the players, and and the lack of acknowledgement that this is getting. Not to mention, by the way, the false nine and how Pep has handled you know the loss of Sergio Aguero, and mm. um, yeah, it, it infuriates me. Um, and what really infuriated me as well is I don't think some of the press realised he was joking when he made that comment. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah but 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 it. Pep's quite informed when it comes to the media and, uh, you know, and and, and he either reads or or somebody briefs him about it. And so that, that, that deeply cynical and sarcastic comment, you know, I I think it shows his awareness, but also it displays how he thinks the 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 contempt with which that kind of comment should be um, responded to. If you look at it now, in a way, Delaney, Delaney's article is really interesting because it feels like we've taken another step forward yeah. as a, as a club. In that now the default responses, well, yeah, they're great, but what do you expect? They're loaded, and and you know, and, and if we're at that point, that's that's the only criticism that they can they can they can fire at us. Then we're at a really interesting point because it's quite simple. Is we've talked about this before, but there's this kind of um, cynical acceptance that City are dominant this season and nobody can argue with it it pisses everybody off <laughs> apart, from, apart from City fans so they have to find a narrative with, with which to respond and the narrative now just is well what do you expect they're loaded what, what do you expect never, never mind about the management never mind about the improvement of the players never mind about the response to being absolutely you know blitz by Liverpool last season, it's more about well they've got the money, so 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 what do you expect? It's it, 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 it's a it's a comprehensive denial
0: yeah.
1: of of how complicated and challenging it is to manage a team of world class players in a very challenging competitive to competitive league. Yeah, I mean you know we don't need any journalists to tell us how good this City team hmm. are at the minute and how much they've improved and their potential for winning trophies this season. We deserve the respect, but I don't need them to tell me that. It, it, it really doesn't bother me. I'm at the point now where I just I, I just laugh at how how kind of short of ideas they are when they talk about us.
0: Well, on this very subject, and I'm particularly on on a subject you, you mentioned there about us not getting the respect to you and and how really we, we're at that stage now where we don't care. We've just moved past it. They're so predictable in what they're saying these mm. days. Um, I would never ordinarily promote my own work, but this week I was commissioned to write about how the media are kind of coming after city again. Coincidentally, since we're top, I was given a word limit of around about a (laughs) thousand. I've still got 500 words to go like this afternoon and I'm currently on 3,100 words. So if, well, it will be out in the next week. If anyone has got like a spare week (laughs) where they can read (laughs) this monster, I would be really grateful. I'll be put up on Twitter when it comes out. Um, Chris, we don't have time for the fixture in focus. We're going to look That's at fine. Chelsea United. But, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it, mate.
1: No, you're welcome. It's a pleasure, as always. It's really good to talk through.
0: Absolutely, man. and Yeah, absolute pleasure. And, um, and now, uh, Mr. Andrew Charles Morrison. Hi, Andy. Thank you very much for giving me your time today. I appreciate you're a busy man. No problem. Pleasure. Um, first off, are you well and good? How's things with you at the moment?
2: Yeah, I'm all good. I'm recovering from a, a knee operation. Um, kind of coincided nicely with the with the uh, with the the, the lockdown and with the football. Nice. Um, so I went in and had my knee done. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's feeling good. I'm recovering from it. It's been three weeks now, so I'm probably about three weeks away from being able to maybe be a bit more active. But I'm pleased with it.
0: And you must be pleased too with the return of the Cumbria Premier League. Um am I right in saying it's returning a week on Saturday after is it eleven weeks of suspension?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's been incredible. Um it's back next Saturday, a week Saturday, and you know, we're all we're all champion at the bit every club. Um, we just want to get back to some normality and, and play some games. You know, we were playing really well and um the 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 league was run superbly, you know, by with all the protocols in place. And it mm. seemed to be such a shame that we were stopped. Um, but, you know, thankfully we're up again and,
0: you know, we can get it to completion. Well, it must have been difficult for every club, but particularly yourselves. I mean, you, you're competing for the title. Um, how difficult has it been to kind of keep the motivation up amongst the players? And and I'm guessing, w- was training done at the ground or was, was it all done individually?
2: Well, there was, there was individual programmes, but, you know, because we're professional mode, um, we were able to to, to use our training facilities. So we were still right. training, we were still taking over, but it's been the same for every club. Um, you know, we've managed to, I, I think, stay really fit, but, you know, only time will tell that with results. But when we're really pleased where we are.
0: Well, in recent years, you've established yourself as a highly respected coach in the Cumberland Premier League, um, leading Kansky Nomads. Is it five consecutive? European campaigns. Yeah, yeah, we've had a
2: good run five five campaigns and um you know we've won we've won both the cups. We yeah. got to the final of the Iron Brew Cup and we won the league title last year.
0: Well, given all that, I mean, what's been the most rewarding aspect of management for you uh, particularly at the Nomads?
2: Um what's been the most rewarding? I just think um just seeing the progression year on year you know, we're never dropping below the standards of the year below. Yeah. And um and keep going forward and keep raising the bar. You know, and we've done that continually. So, um, you know, it's you can have a, a a good season and then drop off and then maybe go a bit. But we've been continually on the upward spiral now for five years. So we're you know, we're that, that's probably been the most rewarding, it's just seeing that we've been able to motivate and drive each other, players, coaches, you know, to keep um keep raising the bar year on year. How would you have um, managed yourself
0: as a player, Andy?
2: Um, how would I manage myself? Um, I would have just left myself to get on with it. I didn't need managing. Right. Um needed a bit of direction at times, but you know, my, my self motivation, my desire to win and um my work ethic was there day after day. So um, you know, I didn't really need a lot of you know, a lot of guidance, I don't think. It was just keep me on the straight and narrow and keep me working
0: in in the right environment and I would look after myself. Okay, and um, to, to kind of return to you as a player, I, mean, I, I guess the best place to start is at the beginning. Is it true that you had a trial with Southampton when you were thirteen, and in the same group there was Matt Lattici and Alan Shearer?
2: That's yeah, that's true. Um, it was a great experience for me because obviously I was been playing at um, Plymouth local leagues, and um, I went to Southampton, got an invite to go there and um, have a week with them. And I went up there, and it was just such an incredible eye opener to the standards, and you know the just the extra lengths that the players went to try and make themselves better. And I it was invaluable for me. I came back, you know, I did very well when I was there, but you know for whatever reason they they decided not to to offer me anything longer schoolboy forms it would have been. And I came back and I signed with Plymouth, and you know I was at the top of the you know I was at the top of the ladder when I went to Plymouth because I had realized just what. Sacrifices these young lads were making at Southampton to try and be the best they could be, and then you know, I had that experience, so it was great. Yeah.
0: When you think back to your Plymouth days, um, like drinking in the navy and on the barbecue after games, and did you ever imagine yourself one day becoming a coach? What, what were your long term aspirations as a teenager? Well, I obviously wanted to play
2: football. You know, when when I got that break and I signed that contract at Plymouth, you know, I was the proudest man in in the southwest of England. I was it meant so much to me. Um I'd been a fan, you know, I'd gone with my dad when I was a young boy, obviously come through the system there um, and broke into the first team. So, you know, all I ever thought about was playing football. But I always had a you know, I was a good listener. I was always looking to learn and I, I always had my own opinions on the game and how it should be done. And, you know, I was, you know, a lot fortunate to work with really good managers early on, which gave me a and a direction of how I thought the game should be played and the way I liked the game. And um, and I followed that all the way through, you know, and obviously played with some exceptional managers, played under some, some exceptional managers, so took little bits of sound bites from every one of them.
0: Um, and your move to Blackburn, you said, you've said in the past that a particularly tough game was against Peter Unlove. Um, and when I interviewed you a few years ago, you, you said you used to have sleepless nights before facing a striker such as Craig Bellamy with bags of pace. Um, how high a level could you have played at had you been lightning quick over 10 yards do you think?
2: I could have played at the very very the very very top, yeah, without a shadow of doubt you know I look at the game now and I look at the qualities I had um and you know it gets overlooked sometimes you know that you know I played probably over a hundred games in midfield hmm. um and you know if you're just somebody that heads a ball and kicks a ball you, you can't play in a championship. You can't play at any level, really, in midfield for a long period, and so I could play, but just lacked that top end. You know, I could hold my own in the at championship and below that, I could hold my own, and um, because you can use your football brain to make the right decisions, get yourself into the right areas. But the further you go up, you get you get more exposed, and um, you know, and probably what I'm mindful of more now than ever was that you know I was a communicator. And I made sure that everything in front of me was organised and shaped so that I wasn't exposed. But, you know, you get and go and play for Blackburn, you can't be going shouting at Graham Lasso and Hindenburg <laughs> and, and David Batty to, to, to stay in little pockets so that you're not going to get running channels and all that. So immediately then I realised, you know, that
0: um, perhaps was maybe a little touch short for that level. And you were so candid in your autobiography, and for all listeners out there, by the way, if you haven't read um, Andy's autobiography, please go get it. It's a fantastic read. and You're so open about your lifestyle off the pitch and the trouble that it led to. Um, you've said before that your lowest point was waking up in a cell in, in Vanessa not knowing what you had done to put yep. you there. When you look back on, on you know, the fights and the alcohol, etc., are there genuine regrets, or do you see your life as a whole? by By which I mean, if you hadn't gone down such dark roads, you maybe wouldn't have become the person you are today
2: it's a great question I, I, and you know and i always think i don't i don't think anyone you know with your upbringing i think the messages the your understanding of what was right and wrong i don't think anyone should regret or be embarrassed by whatever path they've had mm. of course we all reflect and think maybe have done things differently um you know when it may have may have been different but it's your path it's your journey every man has his journey we don't we we, we don't we're not born, and then we we direct where we're going, and this is how things are going to be. You know, a lot of it's mapped out for you. You know, from the moment you from the moment you come out of the womb, and you know, you've just got to make the best of what you've got, and hopefully, if you make mistakes, you get opportunities to correct them. And um, you know, when I, on my journey, when I look at where I was and who I was, you know, what what I achieved in football, it, I always look at it from two two different ways and uh, and one way is I uh, the things the mountains I climbed and what I overcome to actually have a football career um is remarkable but then I look at my the talent and the ability I had as a footballer and I look at what I should have done and what where I should have played um and I have huge you know disappointment in that but it's my life it's my journey mm-hmm. you know we all we, you make the best of what you've been given and if you're honest and you know when you you have a desire to be the best that you can be and and never accept when things aren't going your way you you rise to that challenge hopefully in time you'll come through and things will start to go your way and you know when when i i, I not drank now for twenty two years and my last drink was when i was twenty eight my life up to that period was as you say in the book it was absolutely chaos chaotic and um you know but I've managed to uh, address that and you know the problems that came along with alcohol are um you know are not there anymore in my life but you know i'm still that same person i've still got those same demons inside me like you know but yeah. alcohol used to certainly take the worst out of me and they used to show their ugly head but today i like to think they're nicely boxed off in a, in a nice little trough
0: just tucked away somewhere far away but they're still there well you credit joe royal with helping you to turn things around how did it happen
2: well, again, I'd, I'd, I'd messed up, you know, uh, football, life, everything become too much for me. And it was a progress. It would build up over days and then come into weeks and then everything would get on top of me. And my mind couldn't deal with the intensity and and the um, the pressures of life and football. I just didn't really have the tools to deal with everything that comes along in life. So I needed an escape. So every, whether it was a week, two weeks, three weeks, or it, and sometimes it could be a couple of months that I wouldn't have a drink, but the pressures would build up so much, and I'd get an opportunity, and I was suspended for a weekend, and I, I just went on one, um, and messed up again. You know, I'd done so well at the club; I was a captain, and mm. um, you know, I never turned up for training on the Monday. And I came in on the Tuesday and Joe just, you know, sort of like never, I never got lambasted, you know, I was ready for the apologies and I won't do it again and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Joe, Joe dealt with it in a different way, he dealt with it, with a human aspect to it. And and he spoke about me and my quality of life, my family, um, where I was, why I hadn't achieved the things I had, should have done in my life. And, you know, when he, he just broke it down to me, what about, you know, what you deserve in life? Not, not, not about Manchester City, not about football. You know, what about you? And, yeah. uh, that was the first time really that I'd looked at it that way. And, um, and I, I walked away that day and I just thought, yeah, you know, I, I've, all I've ever done is apologize. I'm mean, like every manager I ever played for. I was just in. They, they knew that when it come to training, they knew that when it come to match day, I'm turning up. I'm full in, everything's going in, you know, Uh, I'll never, ever let them down in that side. But when I stepped away from it, you know, I let the, I let managers down on so many ways, but I didn't feel as though I had a choice. You know, it, it was an addiction and I couldn't control that. So, at that point, you know, I needed to go away and address the addiction and then let my life take its path. And I had I dealt with my alcohol issues and um, and life turned around from there. Unfortunately, I, I picked up, you know, my knee injuries carried on to, funnily enough, as I just said at the start of the program, you know, um, mm. I've, um, you know, just had my 13th operation on my left knee. So, you know, unfortunately for me, I, I never really got there in the last two or three years when I could have been at my, my very best.
0: Well, I mean, you've said in, in the past that injuries contributed to bouts of depression, um, and like, like your alcoholism and your demons. It's something you've been very open about. How important is it, Andy, that we talk about our mental health, that, that we share, that we let our friends know if we're if we're going through a bad time?
2: Yeah, of of course. Listen, and I'm not saying that's easy because we're all spouting now, everybody's talking about, well, you know, you've got to go and reach out and mm. you've got to go and ask for help. And you've got to, yes, the message is the same and I'm giving that message, but that's not easy. That's not easy for men. It's not easy for any human being yeah. to say they're in that place. And a lot of time, there's a lot of, there's a lot of occasions when I look back and I didn't even realize how dark it was and how desperate I was, you know, until I came out of it the other side. And then gradually things become better. There's more positivity. You feel better in yourself. It seems to be a lot brighter. And then you look back and reflect and you think, gee, what a bad place I was in there back maybe then three months ago. I can't believe how low I was. But we don't reach out. We don't go and ask. We sort of tend to come through it. So it's not always easy because, uh, yes, reach out, ask for help, and speak to people close to you, speak to professionals. But there's a lot of time you don't even know you're in there because it's just – you're just – completely immersed in the, in the darkness and um, you're not even aware yourself in, but you know, you maybe other people around you might see it. Maybe, maybe for other people to be a little bit more, you know, considerate and and to actually approach you and say, listen, you, you, you know, you've not been the same. You're not the same person. You're very quiet. You seem to be a bit insular, you know, is there anything wrong? You know, so reach out to people that you actually see and and feel that they've, they've changed, especially in this, in, in this present climate. You know, I've got, you know, there's a lot of people around me who I see they're not the same character they were. So it's, it always helps maybe offer them the opportunity to to sort of say, yeah, I am really struggling.
0: I, I think that's a, a fabulous point. I really do. It's, it's something I very much relate to, um, Going looking back at my own period of depression. At the time, I wasn't fully kind of this as to what yeah. state I was in. And, and it was only until my best friend pointed it out to me that I fully realised the situation I was in. So yeah, absolutely. As you say, that it's not just a case of kind of you know being open with each other and telling a friend if you're struggling. It's also a case of looking out for your friends. And and a, a fabulous point. Um, uh, absolutely. Going back to your kind of beginning at City, uh, you signed for them in October 1998, The Blues in dire straits, um, struggling to adjust to the third tier. Unquestionably, you were a catalyst for our improvement that led to that unforgettable day at Wembley the following year. But how it's portrayed generally, is it City at the time were being kind of bullied, perceived as big-time Charlies, and you arrived kind of streetwise and up for the battle and put some backbone into the side? Would you go along with that? Is that an accurate betrayal, or does it give you a, a, a discourtesy in a way?
2: No, I think the cap fits um, <laughs> and wear it, you know? And, and, I, and yeah, that's who I was. And you know, fortunate in a way, like I say, with my upbringing and with, um, with the way I saw, you know, life and it, there's no way that, um, you know, I was ever intimidated in, in any, any way. And I think, you know, one of the qualities of a leader, you know, is to, is to show that you're, you're fearless. And I think people follow that, you know, and, and I've often said, you know, you get the, the, a, the title of a captain or you get the title of a manager people human beings don't follow titles they follow courage yeah. and if they see that in front of them and they see somebody at the start, front of the tunnel with their chest out and just you know <laughs> snarling and they're ready to go on that pitch and go to war they'll follow that and and I, and I'm not saying that I I've I've I I I've always said that um there was something missing it was a jigsaw part of the jigsaw and I was just I was just part of a jigsaw that's all it was um, and there may have been other people at that time who could have come in and done it. I, I, City didn't have the finances. You know, if they if they spent a million pounds to go and get a centre half, it may have been the wrong, the wrong piece of the jigsaw. Yes, but absolutely. There yeah. was brilliant, ma- there was a brilliant manager, there was a brilliant coach. There was a fan base there was a huge club there was brilliant footballers there was exceptionally talented footballers for where they were there was a young crop of michael Brown Whitley's mason there was there was brilliant young players there everything was in place to go back to back promotions although you couldn't see it at that point but it was there in front of just missing a little tiny little piece and and maybe that I was that piece that just needed to come in um and you know just fit in and then be part of it. And then it all came together. And, um, you know, when we went on an incredible journey of back to back promotions and, you know, when we got to the Premier League and you look back and you think, yeah, why not? Because of what we've got manager, coach, fans, player infrastructure, um, everything was in place for us to go on that run. And, uh, it didn't seem so, it seemed, seemed so crazy at Blackburn when we went into the Premier League, when, when you look back and think of where we were, you know, it, at that point you were thinking, yeah, we could do that. But obviously, go back to October, the year
0: I came in, it was like a pipe dream. And <laughs> um, was your volley away at Oldham in your first away game for City the best goal you ever scored? Yeah, it's it's in my top 10. Definitely mm. in my top
2: 10. <laughs> I think I only scored eight. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, it was a great, um, yeah, it was a great volley and it was just a special time for me. Like, you know, when, yeah. I come in and we, we, we went at the weekend, um, went on to the goal I scored, become the winner, you know, a man of the match and just brilliant. And then, um, you know, you, I was very, very proud person and I had a big fallout with a manager at Tuddersfield. So again, that was typical of my character. Like, you know, to, it was more about proving him wrong and then me scoring the goal. It was just the person I was. And then to go to Oldham in the week, midweek and score the volley. And, um, I, I, yeah, life was just great. You know, it was, it was fantastic at that point because, um, you know, I, I've always, I've always, um, you know, at that point in my life, you know, I always wanted to prove people wrong, continually prove people wrong, but uh, as, as time and, you know, a bit of wisdom comes in, I realise that it's much easier to prove that you're right rather than try and prove the world wrong Absolutely. because it's, it's a massive journey. It's, it's very tiring trying to prove everybody wrong just keep proving that you're right, keep proving and believing in yourself and, and that, that's
0: the that's the way I see your life at the moment. When you think back to that promotion season, which are the big games that stand out for you as being pivotal and, and who were the players who you could rely on to really step up to the plate if things were going against you? A
2: lot of, from Christmas onwards, nothing really went against us. We were on an incredible run. We just yeah. had a little bit too much to make up um, on, the, on the teams that had run away with it a little bit, you know, and, like I say, there was there were strong characters. You know, your Paul Dickoffs, um, the Goat, Jared Vekins, Bish, Richard Edgio, um, you know, Michael Brown. Lots and lots of really, really good footballers. And you know, we our our battles were more trying to break teams down because yeah. teams would just sit in. It was their cup final. There was a you know there was a party atmosphere. There would be the. the maybe four times the crowd would be at any game we went to. It was normally three and a half thousand. There'd be 12 there. So it created a great, uh, every team we played against, we were playing them at the very top of their game. And it was difficult to break teams down. You know, you go away, we, we went away to Gillingham and you try to break teams down, Wickham and Bristol Rovers. It, it was hard. um. But, um, you know, we never, never uh, no way Kevin Horlock and people like that, there was never a lack of character. Yeah, strong people in there who were ready to go to war and 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 you know I, I bought like I like I say you cannot get back to back promotions with you know I think we bought Darren Huckabee in the following year Um i no no sorry Darren Huckabee it was Mark Kennedy mm. we brought Mark Kennedy Impressive. in the following year and um, and that was it you know so the players that we had at that level went on in again and you can't do that unless you've got good players. You can't do that through good management or a system, or or you have to have good footballers. And, and Manchester City at that point certainly had good players.
0: Um, City had an average home attendance of over twenty eight thousand in, in the third tier, and, and could always be relied on to fill every ground that we visited. When rival fan bases talk about the empty hat now, and I suppose yeah. lack of support, just how misguided are they? Uh, yeah, it's
2: nauseating. It really is. Mm. Um, you know, obviously I've I've still. Got an affiliation with the club. I still work on match day. So I feel very strongly about it. And my blood boils because, you know, that 28,000 wasn't 33 because of this up until the Christmas time, you know, the performances weren't good enough. You yeah. know, and but we still had 28,000 from there on was sold every week, 33, whatever the capacity was, it was sold out every week. So the only reason it, is, it was 28 on average is because of the start of the season when it was poor. So, um, you know, yeah, I find it really frustrating and it's something that'll be there forever. You, as a fan of an opposition club, when you see what one of your rivals or, or, or somebody else is doing, it's always easy to find, you know, a simple thing that makes you feel better at that time. Mm. But it's, it's absolute nonsense. You know, we got from 30,000 then in, in a matter of 20 years now to 54 you know if the if if the progression continues on that path in 20 years time there'll be 75,000 there and um, and that's the reality of it and people don't like it And um, i'm always you know i'm going to have my blue tinted glasses on and i'm <laughs> going to be um you know i'm proud to have played for the club so i feel very strongly about it but as pep has often said just let the football do the talking yeah. you know do we just keep doing our business keep going about it as we do efficiently and let, let everybody else talk, and then and, and City just keep um, dominating football like they have for the last decade. You know, the most dominant period, one of the most dominant periods in the history of British football. Yeah, it, it gets overlooked.
0: Well, I mean, before we move on to kind of present-day City, here's a question I'm sure you've been asked a thousand times, and apologies in advance for that, but what are your outstanding memories of that Gillingham game?
2: Um.
0: Don't remember very little about arriving at the stadium. Don't remember
2: very much about the game in general. Mm. Um, lifting the trophy and being as proud as I was to got them steps feeling that it had been taken away from me, all the sacrifices in a kind of a little bit poor me's attitude. You know, when I, when I came off on 70 minutes, I again had to have my knee operated on in the summer, Yeah, a little bit of a poor me's, you know, I've um changed my life. You know, I've worked so hard and that, uh, that dream that I had the night before of seeing myself, visualizing myself, walking up the steps, picking up the trophy and turning to the city fans have been taken away. And um, for that to change the way it did, it was just the most, incredible incredible day one of the most incredible days of my life and um you know after that i don't remember very very little but Mm. picking up a trophy and lifting it is the one thing that stands out in my in in my um my memories
0: who's your favorite player to watch now at city and being a kind of you know a center back and a midfielder do you look to those positions or are you you know, like myself, for example, just love seeing the kind of flair players and the Kevin De Bruyne's.
2: Yeah, I do. Do you know what I mean? I think from a um, being a manager now, and, and you know my my position of being a centre half, I, I always, you know, I I kind of I'm a critique really of the centre halves, yeah, and midfielders. Like you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Ferrandinho. Um, You know, I've said it for the last eight years you know going back that far if anybody's if I went on any podcast or I spoke to anything or to anyone relating to football and city I always spoke about his qualities and obviously that's come through now it's it's accepted that he's one of the mm. one of the greatest holding midfielders that we've had um and obviously centre-half as well but I love to be entertained Nothing excites me more than a wide man in a one-on-one situation. Nothing excites me more than dribbling, you know, somebody creating an opportunity or a moment of brilliance from David Silva that is, just takes the breath away. Nothing excites me more than that, but I'm very critical and I analyse centre-halves and their movements and their decision-making. So, you know, I'm looking at it from from two, two different areas and I'm fortunate enough to have you know, been able to go in and watch City over the last few years and be able to sit there and be entertained because, you know, it is an entertainment business. We, you know, we'd, we'd all love to play that way. And um, you need the personnel and obviously you need the character, of the manager to, to implement it. But it's uh, it's a pleasure to watch. And, um, you know, Ferrandino for me has been the standout player since I've been watching the club because I see what everybody else is able to do and, mm. Have the license to do what they do because of the insurance that a player like that gives.
0: I noticed on your um Twitter, um you're not such a fan of cheating or what you perceive to be cheating. I think it was an example you put up um this week. Do you think that's kind of crept more and more into modern day football now? Basically, players feigning injuries and um, who was it? Was it Tierney at Arsenal, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's 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 more than crept in it's more mm. than crept in it's it's in there and it's it's apps. it's nause- it may if you can tell by my i i find it infuriating mm-hmm. yeah um I, I it's destroying the game um nobody seems to want to address it nobody wants to speak about it at the top level because of the premier league brand um it's it's has to the, there has to be a, a method of stopping it they have have to find a way to um change the way the game's going. Yeah. Because if you you know, if you're happy to stay down and feign an injury and get an get an opponent player sent off or um booked and then you look back at it after the incident and there is no contact in the area whatsoever that you're you're holding onto, surely there has to be retrospective action. Surely the authorities have to look at that and send out a letter and say on on minute so and so, you went down. There was no contact. We've looked back at it from ten different angles. There was no contact with your head. So why have you stayed on the floor holding your head? Can you explain your actions, please? Yeah. And if you can't, there's a three game ban. Um. Or to for for me to make it even worse, ban the manager. Send the manager to the stand for three games yeah. if it proves that one of his players has blatantly cheated to get an opponent booked or sent off. Uh, and it'll stop. It will stop. That's the only way it's going to happen because there appears to be no shame anymore. The there's almost a reaction of well done, a little fist pump, a little touch of the hands <laughs> if a player wins a foul when he's cheated and it's wrong.
0: And for me, it's killing the game and it shouldn't be in there. I completely agree. There was an incident against Munchen Gladbach this week which just didn't make sense. City were two 0 up. Munchen Gladbach player, you know, tried to to get up to win a penalty falsely fell to ground. Um, the only slight contact was to his arm, and yet he was rolling around on his leg. But when the ref didn't give a penalty, he still stayed down on the ground. And the yeah. physio came on, and he's wasting yeah. his, his own team's
2: time there. It baffles wasting his own team time. Robin, Robin fans of entertainment, yeah. You know when and, and what, what I have, I've, I've eased off a little bit because I do understand that um, players will hurdle a, a tackle, and then that'll that'll change their the pattern of their gait yeah so they can't get their shot off you know so they're off balance shooting. i get i get it as hard as i find it i i understand that and i've come around more and more to yeah there's contact there now i've got no idea what somebody else's pain levels are to mine if if it if it's hurts them then fair enough but there's been contact there so there's no question that this, that, that it's affected their pattern, It's affected the, the shot on goal. So they've gone to the floor. Whether it's enough to put them to the floor, Salah against Diaz, if Salah's <laughs> walking through this, if, if walking through Trafford Centre, and, and a security guard comes up and just pulls his hand, his arm, and pulls him back, he's not throwing himself on the floor. <laughs> but there's been enough contact to give a penalty. So I get it.
0: Yeah,
2: but I don't get. The tyranny. I don't understand that in any way. That a man can have contact with his hip mm. and go down and stay on the floor holding his head. Um, and, I, and again, it's not. It's got nothing whatsoever to do with me being prehistoric or old in my thinking of football and how it used to be. That, that's not acceptable at any level of life at this, uh, this at this moment in time. Like 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 I said, I spoke to somebody last week about it. And if if I'm walking down the street and I go to throw a punch at somebody and I completely miss them and I end up in court and all of a sudden somebody on that street's had CCTV and it shows that there was no contact made whatsoever, the person who's got me in court will, will be the person who'll be in trouble. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So that's exactly what TN has done. Yes. tried to get an opposition player into trouble. It's been shown that there was no contact, so you have to now be accountable for for what you've done and it, it seems to be that only in football you're not but I'll leave it there now because I'm getting animated again
0: well I completely agree with every word and and what annoys me the most I think is I don't think there's a single person out here, here listening who wouldn't you know agree with, everyone would agree with this and, yeah. and so it's so unpopular in sport so surely if football stamped down on it it would get Unanimous support from the public. So I I just don't understand why they don't do that because they could. Um, and within a space of six months, it could be all but eradicated. And um, how would you have coped, Andy, Mark, and Sergio Aguero? Because we mentioned before about pace, but with him, it's all about movement and anticipation, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I would have. You know, I still back myself to you know inside the penalty box mm. movement um, and. Blocking off runs and being clever in your positioning. I still back myself there, but once you get outside that area and his movements and his cleverness, then it's a different story altogether. You know, Joliet Lescott, for me, was one of the best centre-halves. You know, we've had some incredible company, Otamende, the Diaz, so mm. the lads that we've got in there now, we've got some incredible centre-halves, but Lescott was the best I ever saw at defending in the 18-yard box. Right. Um, he was incredibly clever in picking up the line of the ball and blocking players off and being in the right areas and stopping crosses and um, he, he, there's, there's just movements of strikers that, in relation to the ball, where you can be stood and it makes it impossible for you just they can't get a shot off, they can't get across you. And Lescott was the best I ever saw at um, defending the box. So I think I could have dealt with Aguero in the box, but the rest of it I probably would have struggled. <laughs>
0: Well, finally, just to kind of wrap things up, you're loved by Plymouth, Blackpool, and Huddersfield fans. Adored by Blues. How proud does that make you feel, knowing that you, in turn, have made us proud of our clubs?
2: Yeah, it means a hell of a lot. You know, I, I you know I'm sat in my um, living room now, and there's no there's no trophies here. There's nothing on the walls. You know, but um, I've left a I left an impression in every play, uh, every club that I played for. You know, to be in the my um, team of the nineties. In um, Huddersfield, you know, in the Hall of Fame at Blackpool. Mm. I know what my um, uh, what I left at Plymouth and the impression I left there. And then obviously Manchester City, you know, it means a hell of a lot to me because, um, you know, every time I trained, every time I went onto that pitch, it was all in, everything that's going on in that day. It was the biggest game of my life and it didn't matter who I played against. It was the biggest game that I'd played in. It was my cup final. Um, and I treated every game the same. And I think fans respond to that. And they, when they see somebody, you know, cares, somebody will go to any length to win for them. And most importantly, you know, defeat hurts the player hmm. um, as much as it does the fans. And I think when they see that, they relate to it. And um, I'm extremely proud that, you know, that I'm felt in them ways. I, I, I really am. It means a hell of a lot to me.
0: Well, I think that's a a lovely way to to end things today. We really appreciate you giving us your time. We we realise you're a busy man. And and thank you very much for joining us today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. And to our listeners, thanks as always for listening in. Um, We'll see you on the other side of the Hammers game. In the meantime, stay strong, stay well, and forever up the blues.